understanding who the customer is is really a recipe for a failure in any company. So having those structures where there's barriers between silos, I would say, where the product team doesn't really understand how the product is being marketed and sold, I think that's not uh, not a good place. And also, it's it should be about delivering value rather than uh, finishing things on time. A lot of product management ends up becoming uh, project management and just sticking to deadlines and sprints where it becomes a religion, where you cannot really question anything or change uh, how the sprint is being done. Uh, it really hurts me. What's your first memory of uh, where you felt the passion for building, the passion for creating? So my first job and uh, something that I did for a long period of time is uh, software engineering. Uh, that's yeah. how I started. Uh, I think in, even in school I was programming and then this led me to study math and then computer science because that's how you start in software engineering, I guess. And after I started working in a few years uh, in the industry, I started noticing that um, I don't want to only code. I want to also be part of building something that's actually better. So that's when I started feeling that I have a passion for software and product uh, at the same time, not just merely to do my nine to five job code and then leave home. I was always questioning like, why is it? Why are we doing it this way? Does the customer really want it that way? So I think that started early on when I uh, hit the like the industry, when I started working, which maybe led me to open up my own business later on because I wanted to do it my way, I guess, uh, which is product-led rather than just do your job. And and when you say you, uh, that's why you decided to uh, start something, uh, for those who don't know kind of your journey, uh, it'd be great to just delve into that a little bit more. So um, after graduating university, although I was already working freelance during university, but I start, I worked in a few companies in Jordan. And then at some point I got recruited to Dubai, actually, uh, a company that did, uh, it was working on Flash at the time. And they brought me as a, if, if people don't remember Flash, that was Macromedia Flash, it's... yeah something that we used to use. And uh, I went to Dubai, worked for a month, didn't really feel it, uh, like the job. Uh, yeah. I was passionate about building, but maybe the job in marketing industry was not really for me. Like they just tell you what to do. You get the design comps and you just have to implement them in a certain way. So I quit, went back to Jordan and opened up uh, the first company, which was it's called Binary Interactive Studios. Uh, I know it's a mouthful, uh, but it's a software development agency where we used to excel in building uh, front-end heavy uh, websites, solutions, uh, like games, a uh, lot of... Yeah, we were building for people uh, at that time. I did that for, uh, I think, seven years. Uh, yeah. And then 2014... I was like, okay, enough building for people. And I tried to build a few things while doing servicing, but you can't really do that. You're always, you always deprioritize the actual products because the customer is in need of something. So I closed that company, uh, co-founded a company called Jobland, which was a technology startup. It was a mobile first video interviewing uh, platform. Uh, it was... Uh, unique at the time, but also that was good and bad for us because uh, in Jordan, we couldn't really fundraise. We tried to fundraise. There weren't many VCs at the time. We even went to Web Summit in Dublin at the time and uh, tried to fundraise from uh, European VCs, but no one was looking at the Middle East. You know, when you tell them Jordan, they probably don't even know where that is. So after doing that for two years, it was also early because we didn't have TikTok, we didn't have Snapchat. So people didn't really want to share uh, videos of themselves. And I also closed down uh, that company. And I would say and we failed at it. The next thing that happened, uh, Zaid Farikh, which was a friend of mine, he actually worked in the same building. He also had a software development company, pulled me into a project called PS Rocket. Uh, 
which was started by Zed Husban, a serial entrepreneur at the time. He already exited his company and this was his second company. So I joined as a CTO slash product person, uh, built uh, the initial prototypes, uh, the MVP, recruited people, uh, built the whole product function, if you might call it, NPS Rocket. And after doing that for some time, uh, and Zaid uh, Farah was doing angel investments on the side. So we decided to, like, how can we put our investments together? So we put his angel investments and the sweat equity in PS Rocket in a holding company. And we called it Propeller at the time because we wanted to help propel people. But honestly, in the beginning, we didn't have a business model. It's like just a holding company that holds our uh, mutual investments, I would say. And slowly, we invested through Propeller. We brought in uh, an investor and then invested in uh, 13 companies, I would say. And once things started uh, growing in Propeller, I actually left Bios Rocket, stayed just on a part-time basis to help them, but moved to become the CEO of Propeller because it needed a full-time uh, function because we started having like, okay, how can we scale this? How can we support more companies? So we figured out that we needed to have a fund. So I went out, learned what does GPLP mean? What does a fund mean? Uh, this was in 2019. And uh, since then, I've been uh, running uh, Propeller, me and uh, like uh, the partners. And uh, yeah, we've invested in 24 companies so far. And our focus is mostly on software companies. Uh, we might do fintech in like other areas, but mainly uh, we do software companies, which might be AI, SaaS, uh, it might be fintech, but uh, they usually have a huge software component. Got it. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you kind of did a couple of different things along the way. Um, you know, sometimes I talk to people and they're trying to figure out kind of what their purpose is or what their calling is or what's the destination they're working towards. And, and like I said at the beginning of our conversation, it feels to me uh, from afar, albeit from afar, that you've kind of found your calling and your purpose. And so, uh, but it wasn't a path, a straight line. You know, you had to try a couple of different things. So, you know, for people trying to figure it out, you know, what kind of advice do you have on the approach they should take to really figuring out what's going to drive them, what's going to make them passionate, what's going to be their purpose, their calling? So I think it, uh, as you said, Tarek, it, it has to be a journey. Uh, I don't believe it can be a step function where instantly you're at the right place. Uh, most of the time you have to follow your curiosity. So you know, for me, I was always curious about UX, software engineering. You know, I delve both into product management, UX, and software engineering. You know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a very geeky person. I actually go and read how does MongoDB work, for example, which is very technical. But uh, uh, in a different month, I might be reading uh, a book about uh, UX design patterns or dark patterns in UX. So following these different... Uh, Having a, a passion for something is a prerequisite for anyone to be successful, I believe. Following your passion is good advice, but not always following your passion in the, like you have to align your passion to something that actually uh, is needed in the world. Uh, is needed does not, you know, it can be needed, but doesn't give you money. If you're into just, you want to be fulfilled by helping people, you can actually volunteer, go do some, some work at an NGO but if you want to make money and uh, be an, uh, like impactful uh, in a society, uh, creating something that actually generates revenue is a great way to do it. So I would try to align your passion with an area that has money in it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say just follow your passion blindly. Uh, I don't know. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think... Um, uh, I think to a large extent, it's depending on the parents you have. We we each had, you know, we got different types of advice. How how do I avoid my own bias to say, okay, I have a passion here. I think there's a route to make money, um, and how do I avoid convincing myself that there's a route to to making money, and maybe there isn't, 
or the inverse, which is I have a passion, but you know, everyone around me is telling me there's no money here. And so I should just drop it. The problem is that, you know, as an advice, uh, telling people to just drop your passion, if it doesn't, uh, if, if you can't see it generating money uh, today, I, I think it's the wrong advice because you never know what might happen. You know, um, a lot of people were passionate about things that didn't really bring them any gains until three, four, five years uh, down the line. Uh, until that, you know, like movies started uh, becoming, I think, in the Middle East, for example, and you were into acting and then you became one of the top actors because you started earlier. Because most of the time, if you, which is similar in startups, if you're starting when the thing becomes hot, then you're most probably uh, late because everyone is going to start if, if, if point zero is then. So a lot of time you should follow your passion and evaluate like, how can I turn my passion into something? I think turning it into something that brings you gains, where are those gains uh, like monetary or is it fulfillment if you're you know maybe you took a different uh, path in life i think if you evaluated constantly it you you would be in a much better position and you would surround yourself with a network that enables that passion to uh, prosper rather than just uh, keeping it to yourself you know and for for example i think i spent some time where i was not networking with people i wasn't connecting with other passionate people around me in Jordan, at least, or the region, which I believe, uh, yani, I, I wish I started earlier, by the way. Yani, uh, I think yeah. I wasted some time where not connecting to other passionate people, because when you do that, you you create a movement and then you start, everyone starts opening up doors for each other. And then your passion turns into something that actually works for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think also we live in a world where uh, the... Uh, threshold to test something is quite low, right? And so, uh, you know, uh, creating a minimal viable uh, offering uh, is not that difficult nowadays, right? I think the the best analogy, uh, you know, sometimes when people say, I'm going to create a marketplace, it's going to do this, it's going to do that. And, uh, and they tell me, you know, I'm building all this, I'm building the supply side, I'm building the, um, and so kind of my first, point to them is I think you're overcomplicating it. I think you can literally create a front end website, uh, put something in Google and see if there's even a demand for, for this before you even kind of spend more time trying to uh, build a product that there may be no market for. And so I think even the ability to test and validate something, the barrier is quite low. I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. If you think about it, Tarek, yani, uh putting it out there is actually uh, putting it uh, in a place where people can show they're also passionate about this problem or they also have this need. So it's all about communicating with people, actually finding your customer base, uh, which might be a customer base or it might be other passionate people that want to join you on your mission. So yeah, definitely uh, yeah, building an MVP or trying to put it out there is step one. Uh, just keeping it in your head and thinking of it like one day I will do this. No, just start. And uh, if you find the right people, you're probably going to grow whatever it is. And wh what did you learn along the way building um, Jobland? So, I mean, it sounds like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the success POS rocket uh, ended up being. What did you learn building, scaling, and uh, eventually winding down that business? So I learned a few things about choosing the market. Uh, probably we weren't in the right market that had enough uh, um, like uh, investors, by the way. And, you know, we were limiting ourselves to Jordan at the time. If we talked to other people, maybe if we went for a trip or two to Dubai at the time or uh, Saudi or just relocated somewhere else, we, we, we would have had a better chance at uh, solving that problem. And uh, maybe you know, I learned a few things about hiring, like hiring the right people at the right time, not over hiring people like sometimes because when you think like, OK, things are not going well, you start like maybe if you hire that extra person, things will become better 
rarely does that happen. If if there is no clear function that you're hiring for, don't uh, hire people. Also, checking if co-founder dynamics work, so you know, like when the when things get tough, uh, depends. Like, does everyone has the same uh, uh, intensity of wanting this to work? Uh, because a lot of time, if you don't have like the right people with you on the team, they might jump ship at some point if uh, things don't go well. I would say those are the things that I learned from uh, Jobland. And before that, in binary, I learned what does it mean to scale. Uh, not that I did scale. I like I learned the mistakes that I did by. And for example, we created a product called the Joe Create. It was a Behance for Jordan. There, yeah, like literally in the name, Joe Create. Why, why do you think uh, so small? Like why did we think bigger? We had people calling us from. Uh, Lebanon and Egypt wanting to put their art on our website and we're like no this is only not that we are exclusive but we thought like you know you have to focus on one geography which was a mistake Uh, we tried to build other products also we we were late to hit the market we didn't do the MVP we stayed in our heads Uh, we didn't build outside in we built inside out like we know the right features and we will tell people what they are instead of talking to people uh, we tried to do something like called Garajak. It was a marketplace for used car parts. Uh, you know, uh, I would say by failing in these things, uh, I learned a little bit of uh, what not to do. And what to do is always, uh, yeah, and by the way, even today, I, you don't know exactly what to do because every time you're starting a new startup, you're literally starting from scratch, preferably yeah. uh, not copying something else. So yeah. you would need to figure out a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think uh, you you know the that feedback feedback loop, customer feedback loop, like you were saying, uh, is the biggest biggest validation, right? Um, uh, you 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 mentioned something uh, around uh, you know being going inside inside out versus outside in. How do you find the balance between that? Because to a large extent. You're right. You you need to be getting market validation, customer feedback, but sometimes I need to be able to say, actually, this is what the market really needs and what the market is ready for, um, and I'm going to go out and introduce this. So, how do you find the balance between between both of those? I, I love this, by the way. Yeah, I think maybe we think alike on this. That it's you you need both data from the market and you need to talk and validate with customer. But you also need intuition, uh, like product intuition, to be able to build a successful product. You can see this uh, with uh, Steve Jobs, uh, one of our, uh, I think, a lot of people's mentor, uh, even though we never met. Um, He was always thinking, like, talking to customers, understanding what the customers want, yet there was uh, there's this belief that no we uh, this is something that's actually better than what's in the market so you would need to be strong headed at some points uh, not just follow what everything that the customers tell you uh, so sometimes when i sit with product people and they're like yeah i ab tested this yeah, you should do that at scale but when you're in the beginning when you're just starting your startup you're creating something new you want to have that uh, deep thinking about it. You want to work in two modes where either you're deep thinking about the problem and figure out uh, new solutions uh, or different ways of doing it and also reacting to what the customers uh, tell you because at the end, it has to be a marketable uh, solution. It's a mix of both. Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's a framework that yeah. like one week like this, one week like that. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's... Uh, I would say, like, how valuable is the thing? If someone's telling you, like, the other product has this, you have to listen to them because most probably they will, uh, when they uh, decide to buy your product, they will need that certain feature. Like, I need import-export. But importing-exporting is just a commodity, uh, as you know, Yanni. It's not something that really people love your product because they can import-export their data. Figure out those uh, killer features or lovable features those need the deep thinking, experimentation, uh, lots of reading, talking to people, and understanding what they want without them actually telling you. Uh, yeah, and I think um, I think there's 
there's a great book by Clayton Christensen. I'm blanking on the name. I, I think it's I think it's called Competing Against Luck, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the whole idea of jobs to be done theory, right? Mm -hmm. So if I understand what is the job to be done, then it allows me to solve for the job to be done independent of the way a person thinks I need to do it. So, you know, the simplest example is, you know, if you think about mirrors in an elevator, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, I, if, if I were to ask you, what's the job to be done, uh, with a mirror in the elevator, what would you, what would you, what would your initial response be? Job to be done. So I don't know, like the time when, when there were no mirrors and people were like, okay, so we need to make this a more entertaining, I would say. You're, 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 yeah, 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 you're close. So, so when they first introduced elevators, uh, people would get, would get frustrated with how long the elevator would take to get to the top of the building. And so, uh, the job to be done from the mirror, actually, when it was created was if we put a mirror, people will be distracted by looking at themselves. And so the job to be done with a mirror is actually to pass time. Mm -hmm. um, and and so you're absolutely right. I think the, the, the approach needs to be what is the job to be done? And then think about if, as long as I can be aligned with a customer that there is a job to be done here, the way I approach it that opens up a whole world of creativity for me and a whole spectrum of possibilities. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the more experiments you did in your life, the more things you've, you've seen, you've tested, allows you to come up with solutions faster. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I, I think it's a muscle like this. I call it product sense. Maybe everyone else does, does that. But you or intuition where you actually... Uh, grow it within yourself by actually looking, analyzing things. Every time you see uh, a phone, you're like, why did they do it this way? Why isn't it like a cube or why isn't it a, a circle, a sphere? Uh, you think about it and then you're like, yeah, this is how it should work. So always being I'm not, yeah, critical, but not in the bad sense. Like, why did they do it this way? Uh, analyzing, analyzing that helps you grow that, uh, like train that muscle within you? Like how can you create products that most probably people will like and start living? Yeah, I, I like that. It's a, it's an interesting approach. Uh, this idea of, uh, I like this idea of product intuition and then, you know, being conscious about continuing to develop it. So, so what did you take into POS Rocket? So uh, POS Rocket obviously was a huge success, got sold to, exited to Foodex. Um, what did you do differently when you started that company, having had a couple of learning experiences along the way? Mm. So first of all, I, I looked at like what exists already there, because when you're creating a POS, it's you're not trying to come up with something that didn't exist. It all already exists. So there are like the local players, the legacy software uh, in the region, and there's also the global players, Square, Lightspeed, and uh, Toast at the time. So I analyzed them, looked at them, like what are they doing? Uh, which you know, I know that people might be like, no, this is stealing. You shouldn't look at things, but you should. Uh, you should always look at what's the status quo, what is what exists already in the market, globally and locally, and then do your own uh, research. So I remember I, I spent hours in different cafes just watching the waiters, like how they work. And I learned a few traits i learned like for example uh, there was one restaurant where the guy was super fast um, he was even not looking at the pos so that's where i learned okay so the buttons or like, like the menu items should always be in the same place you shouldn't scroll the page you, it, tabbing is better so they they can create this mental model where without looking at the screen they can just uh, press on the place that the, this menu item uh, is in and they would and because it's super fast and there's no animation it just moves super fast then they can actually do that finish their job uh, faster so i did a lot of research there uh, i learned how to i think one of the things that 
worked well was how good our infrastructure scaled. So maybe this is more technical, but we did spend some time thinking about a few problems that we foresaw that ended up in year three, maybe uh, not causing us issues. So we had thousands and millions of transactions happening, but we were only running on three servers, uh, one for each module. So we didn't have to scale that fast. We didn't have to spend so much money on uh, uh, like cloud infrastructure at some point, which, so it was both moving fast, but at the same time we moved really fast. The MVP was built in three months. And uh, I think in like the fourth month, it was installed at the first customer. Uh, and in eight to nine months, we were in Egypt. So we already started in Jordan and we launched a new market to learn because Egypt was a different market where internet, uh, I think they had 3G at the time in Jordan, we had 4G. Uh, so latency issues were starting to show up. So it was good, like how can, and Egypt is bigger. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, uh, multi-branch uh, restaurants a lot yeah, yeah. like the minimum is two and then sometimes it's five and even ten branches so it introduced new problems which helped us uh, figure them out and start uh, solving them so I think yeah, I learned about speed uh, I learned about building things in the best way possible of course like so it's um, it's not only the, uh, so you have to always look at feasibility but building it a little bit in the best way possible within that time constraint, which of course uh, I could do that because I read a lot about the subject and I was always, and it's something that I was passionate about. If I started on that day trying to figure out how to create a scalable system, most probably I would have failed, right? So I learned how to balance between the two as well. And it worked for us really well. And we, we were able to accelerate growth and then become uh, in three countries, uh, Egypt, Jordan, and uh, Kuwait, in a, uh, I think in the matter of a year and a half or something. Yeah. And and talk about speed. You mentioned speed. What's your philosophy around speed versus uh, fi finding the right balance between speed and uh, building things the right way where things aren't going to break and uh, fall apart? So, yeah, I think in... In everything, actually, you can't be a perfectionist all the time. You should have that, uh, like, I'm going to say pride. Like, I don't output something that looks like uh, crap. But at the same time, I might uh, choose uh, to, you know, put it out there without having the full feature set, uh, only on the things that I want to validate. So... Although I'm one of those people that you know, if the pixel is off, I'm like, sorry, can you fix that pixel? Uh, <laughs> but I would reduce the number of pixels on the screen, for example. I would not yeah. put so many things. But when I put the actual, uh, when I when we output the MVPs and anything, or when I'm advising our startups, like the logo is blurry, please fix it. Like, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, but you can fix it very easily. It will only take two minutes in Photoshop, create a 2x version, and then. I just give them like a hint how to fix it, but don't add so many features, uh, slowly grow your product. But at the same time, uh, every time you do something, try to do it the best way possible within that time frame. Um, and those things matter, by the way. A lot of times you see companies that just started uh, minimal feature set, but they look damn good. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't really, uh, by the way, and if, if you base that, uh, I always, you know, I'm, I'm always like, this product looks good. I never used it. I saw the interface, but uh, maybe because of my business now, I'm not using it. I need a bigger company. But uh, you can see the finesse, like, you know, it works well. It looks good. Uh, so I'm going to say it's also, it's a balance, by the way. It's not, yeah. I wouldn't say that always release anything because yeah. so many companies release subpar uh, products and then they just it grows on them and then the culture uh, stays that way and then in like five years where they had plenty of time to go back and fix the things they don't fix them because the culture was not always like we can do better but we're choosing to uh, do it this faster way uh, they uh, they have a culture of this is good enough but I yeah. don't believe that anything and good enough works for some time, but you should always strive to be 
uh, world class. I'm gonna say it, uh, yeah. global product. So it's a yeah, it's a balance. You keep going back and forth. Mm. Uh, what can you talk about building? So what does a good culture look like to you in product engineering function? I'll start with that question and then you know move from there. So a culture that starts from delivering value, like delivering value to a specific uh, customer. So knowing your customer. A lot of times I meet people and they don't really know their customer. Like the CEO talks to the customer, I don't really know. He just tells me what to do. That's really bad. You're when you actually create uh, like different uh, barriers to knowledge, where only a few people who are doing the sales know what the customer wants. So there are different ways. Of course, you can make the product team talk to more customers in the beginning, or you can create ways where the sales team might come and do a debriefing. I think it always varies, but not understanding who the customer is, is really a recipe for a failure in any company. So having those structures where there's barriers between uh, silos, I would say, where the product team doesn't really understand how the product is being marketed and sold. I think that's not uh, not a good place. And also it's it should be about delivering value rather than uh, finishing things on time. A lot of product management ends up becoming uh, project management and just sticking to deadlines and sprints where it becomes a religion where you cannot really question anything or change uh, how the sprint is being done. Uh, it really hurts me like uh, to talk to someone and they're like, no, but this is not pure agile. Screw it. It doesn't matter if it's pure or not. You can do things in a different way. Basecamp, for example, uh, 37 Signals, uh, creators of Basecamp, they have three-week sprints and then one week of rest. What is that? That's so weird, but it works for them. Uh, so although if you go and talk to someone who's an agile practitioner or a scrum master, he will tell you that this is wrong. But they probably work in a very uh, not innovative company, I would say, yeah. like a company that's doing the same thing for the last 10 years without, with zero innovations. So I think those things are really, so agility, but agility in the, like how fast can you deliver value to your customer rather than agility of how many times are you sticking to the deadline and uh, changing the whole way you think into, uh, I think they call it uh, cargo culting where you're doing something just because that's the way it should be done without really understanding why is it uh, being done that way and questioning it, trying to change it to fit your, own products needs rather than uh, going by a book. Yeah. And for you, what was the, um, what was the impetus or motivation to say that, uh, to go from building to enabling builders by going from POS to propeller? I think that might be part of my experience here uh, and things that I saw happening uh, in the region. So uh, at some point, uh, I tried to raise funds and uh, I couldn't, uh, I didn't have enough people that would uh, take a bet on me uh, because maybe I didn't look the part uh, at that point, software engineer coming, uh, didn't know the right people. And the uh, same thing happened with other people as well. You know, I can, you know, I'm sure now you know uh, Replet, everyone knows it now, but at some point, Amjad Masad, who who is a friend and also backer, uh, he he had a hard time finding people to believe in him in 2013, which led him to go and work in Code Academy and then Facebook and then uh, try to get into YC. And then eventually it worked, I think the fourth time. And it took him like two years to be able to get into YC. And then people started believing in him and Haya, his co-founder, and eventually uh, he did something. So. I always uh, say something, we want to be the support uh, uh, like uh, support system for an Amjad Mas'ad in 2013. So when he tries to aim high and create something that's ambitious, uh, we would have the funds and knowledge and network to be there for him. And same thing for me, same thing for Zaid and everyone else that we work with. I want to be, you know, we want to be there for people who are aiming high. Uh, we don't want, and we know that it will always look weird. It will always look uh, not optimal or not the current uh, thing to focus on. 
So that's why you, you know, to be able to allocate capital to these people, I ended up uh, being a part of a VC, uh, creating a co- or co-founding a, a VC fund. But it, it's because the you know, propeller needed to exist, at least in our heads. Yeah. And what are the things you look for now when you look at founders or you look at ideas? What are some of the core things you look at that give you the conviction to to deploy capital? So other than things like, you know, being likable and being able to articulate what you are working on and uh, who, who your customer is, uh, let's say, who the people are that you're trying to solve the problem for, I would say uh, the ability to create a movement, uh, which happens by sometimes it's have you built something before? Uh, have you aligned a few people and actually delivered something to someone? It might be a, uh, a product, it might be a university uh, like uh, association or something. It, we look at people who know how to build things. Uh, and building things does not mean you have to exit, uh, have exited your startup, although sometimes that helps. But uh, did you build uh, things? Are you passionate about the uh, problem that you're solving? Or are you deeply interested in it, uh, at least at this point in time? So usually there are people who uh, would, you, you can't stop them talking about the problem that they're solving. Uh, yeah. They don't talk a lot about fundraising and about valuations. They talk more about like, this is how the customer is. And we talk to that person. So, so they have this... Uh, I'm going to say passion about the thing that they're doing. And you usually they they have built things. They have either worked in good companies or have built a few things and uh, succeeded or failed. It uh, doesn't have to be a huge thing, by the way. It can uh, be just like uh, NGO, for example. One of the last startup that we entered with, uh, Ahmed Jadallah from Bionel, he's a medical doctor that... Uh, didn't practice medicine actually he went into research and he was always into science and wanting to uh, grow the scientific community uh, in the region and then he ended up now he's building a SaaS software for medical research he's trying to create Daraplet for medical research if I may say Uh, and you you know you said that uh, you said that you know that from what you're looking for, some of these ideas might seem seem weird. They might seem out there. How do how do you kind of take the call on whether an idea is before its time or maybe before a market is created, versus you know you're catching something at the very early stage before something can become massive. So, by the way, we will be wrong about uh, us and the founders uh, a few times. Uh, we haven't been uh, wrong now, but give it a few years and we will be wrong. Actually, some of our previous investments, uh, companies either who closed or uh, did not do very well, uh, have been at the wrong time, I would say. And maybe the market uh, did not grow as fast as they and we thought uh, but having that, uh, and you should always be learning, reading uh, about everything, have a different uh, way of thinking than uh, than like what the uh, population is thinking about. So, and every partner, uh, let's say in our partnership, has a different way. Like someone is into this kind of fintech. Uh, he believes that it will be something uh, one day and he goes... And when the time comes and the right team comes, it just clicks. And he's like, yes, I want to back this. So most of the time, you're going to be looking at uh, small direction, small mo- movements towards something. It's not going to be a trend. If it's a trend, I, I think it's too late. Uh, oh, depends on the team, actually. But uh, a lot of time, it's going to be a small movement. Like, yes, precision medicine. Things are becoming, healthcare is being done in this way. AI is being done uh, in that way. So you might invest in that team that also believes that at some point it's going to converge, like their work and the market are going to start getting closer, which would be the right timing for them. Um, I don't know, 
it's it's small hints, small. Yeah. I'm gonna say smells in the air, like uh, yeah. the world is moving in that direction, and yeah. you would take a bet on it. And if if it didn't work, maybe their next startup might be a better startup. Yani we believe that in investing in people uh, over multiple uh, startups, we don't believe it's like one shot. And if it didn't work, uh, they're not a good team. Maybe they they just didn't have the right uh, components at the time to create a successful business. Yeah, yeah, and uh, one of the one of the things I'm curious to get your thoughts on is uh, decision making frameworks. So, you know, how do you think about how teams should approach decision making? I mean, I think right now you you've mentioned a few times that you have. Uh, more than one part, you know, it's not just you uh, as the partner at the firm. Uh, and it's clear that you as a fund want to invest in truly disruptive ideas or truly new white space ideas. And so how do discussions happen behind closed doors in order to make decisions around this, uh, around these types of investments, but then also in other startups you've worked in and founded, what have you learned about working with team members to make decisions yeah i think it's a cliche but it, it should always be a flat organization and by flat i mean where every opinion matters uh, and uh, every data point that someone brings in into the table should be uh, looked at uh, questioned and uh, even argued i, I think again, as a fund and i think a lot of Successful funds, as long as, uh, as far as I heard, have a lot of discussions and a lot of deals are like, uh, no, I hate this. The other person is like, I love this. And then why do you hate it? Why do you love it? Uh, how can you see it growing? I might, like, if I, I, I don't like the deal, I might say, well, this, this and this. And then the partner goes and talks to them and brings in the answers. And then I might change my mind. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I started liking this a bit more. But did you think of this? Then he might go talk to them, come back, yeah. and he's like, yeah, they changed. Uh, they actually like that advice, and they changed. And then we start growing. Uh, uh, it starts growing on us as an idea, uh, whether it's a startup or something that we're doing. And uh, eventually, like by letting that idea grow, it just happen, uh, it becomes a thing or it becomes a portfolio company. Uh, so as long as there are no blockers, like this will not move. Uh, at some point, it will bubble up and uh, like uh, become uh, something that exists in propeller. I would say uh, that's how we think uh, of this. We we don't fear to uh, get into uh, arguments and uh, yeah. debates about something. Uh, I know sometimes it's a time waster, but I believe that those are the times that you learn stuff about yourself uh, as a firm or as a mm. startup. Uh, whether it's a good thing or about it, like what not to do or what to do, actually. Yeah. So I'm, I, I myself, I'm an advocate of doing some debates about things, and not not just taking things at uh, face value. I'm I'm a very skeptical yet optimistic person, uh, which I believe uh, you should be if you're believing in. Uh, weird or new ideas that are just emerging. You cannot be, uh, you know, you can't accept everything and you cannot be too uh, pessimistic about like, no, it's not going to work. Yeah, it might work, um, but I'm skeptical about this part. So I think uh, also this uh, spirit goes in our, in all our partners. Uh, we think about things differently, but we share the idea that uh, none of us knows everything and uh, should be the ultimate, uh, like, uh, yeah. give the ultimate word. It, it should always be open for discussion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you you talk about failure in like a, um, in a matter of a fact way. So whether it's investing in entrepreneurs who failed before or who've had unsuccessful outcomes. And then you yourself kind of, when you talked about your own experience, you talked about unsuccessful outcomes, you know, depending on how, what your definition of success is. Uh, I'd love to hear about your philosophies around, you want to call it failure, you want to call it something a bit more 
uh, optimistic. Um, I'd love to hear your views around this topic. So yeah, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried anything. Um, honestly, uh, if, if, you, if you're like, I never failed in anything, I was like the top in everything, most probably you didn't put yourself in a... Uh, at this com- uh, uh, at a scenario where it's not comfortable, like outside of your comfort zone. So the more you put yourself outside of your comfort zone, the more you will fail uh, or not accomplish the task at hand, uh, which is a good thing that you try to do it. Uh, you've learned some things. Uh, smart people are people who learn from uh, the times that you end up with uh, a failed experiment or a failed uh, uh, task and not so smart people don't yeah they might repeat the same thing not learn every time i think um, so in that sense trying a lot of uh, things uh, but maybe not at the same time I, yeah, I'm, I'm from the school of doing things not asynchronous uh, not like not multitasking too much maybe doing two tops things uh, at a time and trying out different things in that area. Uh, but also giving every time you fail, giving it like, uh, I'm going to say you're all, uh, because if you failed after, like I tried something for one week, it didn't it failed. No, you, you didn't really try uh, doing it. Yeah. I tried to learn the guitar uh, over a month and I couldn't. You can't learn the guitar in one month. So no. uh, similar to that, I would say it's it's trying different things, trying it the right way also. Yeah. And uh, knowing when to quit as well, by the way, and it just which comes back to self-evaluating. Like, are you uh, getting better? Why not? Uh, is this the right thing to do now? Or should you uh, move to something else? You should always think about it. But I don't like people who jump from one thing to the other very fast uh, as well. I mean, yeah. as a mission, I'm not going to say like experiment with a feature, but yeah. if you're like, yeah, I tried carpentry over one month. and No, you didn't really. You have to work two, three years as a carpenter. If it didn't work and you want to move on or it worked and you want to move on something else, then you can do it. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you try one or two things, tops, in a specific area. Can you elaborate what you mean here? So <clears throat> I think uh, I mean, some people always try out 10 things and they're like, if if it sticks, I'll just go ahead with it. I don't believe that that as a mental model works. Uh, I think you it's better if you have like a mission, something hard that you're trying to solve and you might try out different ways to solve it and then choose the things that work and things that don't work. But uh, if you have multiple missions, if you have multiple grand things uh, that you're trying to solve at uh, every exact moment, I think it's going to be hard. Some people, it works for them. Elon Musk, for example, it's been working for him, but he has great teams that work with him on it. This is not the, it's not zero to one. Uh, I know that, like, for example, SpaceX is a huge uh, thing, but it was always his passion. If you read about it, like since the nineties, if not, so it is one thing that he's been consistently working towards. Tesla is a company that was already working. He became acquired it, became CEO, and you know. Uh, but also, yeah, Elon Musk is a beast. I mean, he's. Uh, I don't believe he has enough time for anything else. He's always working, which is admirable. Yet, a really hard thing to do. So I'm not from, yani, uh, like I try to do this. I, I put 10 websites in different industries. And if someone uh, goes into the website, I'll choose that problem. Um, it doesn't work for me. I don't believe a lot of successful people that did uh, imported stuff in life did it that way, where they just experimented with 10 things and whatever got traction first, they went with it. I think that's a very reactionary way to live your life. I believe that you should create your own path in a way. Uh, you wouldn't know the path. Just Steve Jobs, he says, you can connect the dots, uh, like looking back, looking back, not going yeah. forward. But at the same time, I don't think Steve Jobs tried uh, 10 different things. It's like either Apple or Pixar or uh, Next. 
he was focusing on one thing, trying to do it well, uh, at least at uh, at any given moment. Yeah, and, and I think you know sometimes people ask me, how do I know what it is I should kind of pursue? Um, and I think sometimes to know what you want to do, you have to go through a lot of things that you don't want to do. And so sometimes it's just having the curiosity like you did early in your career to try different things and then saying, ah, you know, I try, I try this uh, and I didn't really like it. And in, in that case, I don't think of it as kind of giving up early. It's listening to your intuition, listening to how and, and being in touch with how I feel every day when I get up to do this thing. Um, uh, and it's, sometimes it's just a process of elimination to arrive at, at, at that thing that will become your mission. Agree. Lovely way to say yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, he I heard you say a couple of things today uh, in the discussion, Tambi. I heard you say, you know, you need to have this uh, product intuition uh, and it's a muscle that you, you have to develop with time by being an observer of products and consciously thinking about products. I like how you said looking at a product and saying, why did they make it circle instead of a square and, and dwelling on that to build that muscle. I asked you about what defines a strong engineering culture. Your, your initial, uh, your immediate response was delivering value to a specific customer, uh, uh, I think are a few words that carry a lot of weight. This ability to create a movement and also capture a movement early are leading indicators of success for entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I really stuck with me. And this idea of being laser focused on one or two missions and sticking through them, not giving up too early uh, are things I really took away from the discussion. I, uh, learned a lot from the time we spent together uh, and I appreciate you for sharing your your wisdom and your thoughts and your experience. Thank you, Tariq. Uh, it's been a lovely discussion as well, Yanni, by the way. Great questions. Thank you very much. Thank you.